At times, he felt that people could have been demons. And in the past, she had had episodes of breaking down when she had completely withdrawn. And this was something that made her feel like there was something deeply wrong with her. The understanding I gave to her was that indeed, these thoughts she was having were reflecting deep feelings that she had, but at the same time, it was understandable that most people didn't understand her as she felt lonely. Welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Each month, we feature a patient interview, case presentation, or interview or discussion with one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at organomy.org. The best way to help the American College of Organomy spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. If you're interested in training with the ACO, you can learn more about the medical organ therapy or social ergonomy training programs. You can connect with us and learn more at ergonomy.org. This episode features the audio from one of our ACO case presentation series webinars. Dr. Salvatore Iacobello tells me about his patient, Kate who was suffering with symptoms of psychosis and who wanted more than just a pill. She wanted more out of her life. Listen in to hear how Dr. Iacobello was able to connect with Kate and slowly help her out of her psychotic abyss. Welcome to the ACO's A Different Kind of Psychiatry case presentation webinar. We're glad to have you. Today's presentation is entitled, A Young Woman Emerges from a Psychotic Abyss, presented by Dr. Salvatore Iacobello. Good afternoon. Welcome, Dr. Iacobello. Dr. Iacobello is a board-certified psychiatrist and a clinical associate of the ACO. He's in private practice in Fairfield, Connecticut, and he's an assistant editor of the Journal of Ergonomy, where he has also published articles on clinical and social ergonomy. So Dr. Iacobello, this presentation has a, a wonderful title, A Young Woman Emerges from a Psychotic Abyss. So if we can, let's just jump in and maybe you can tell us who is this young woman and how did she come to you for treatment? Well, Kate, she's a, she's a young woman who a few years ago came to see me for the first time. It was just before the, the COVID pandemic. At that time, she was not working. And when she came, she told me uh, she had history of schizophrenia since childhood. She had not been receiving any treatment up to the time she came to see me, except for taking some medication that had been prescribed to her uh, when at least 10 years earlier, she had required to go to the hospital. And she wanted to 
receive better treatment and possibly to be able to overcome her symptoms and do better in her life. So Dr. Iacobello, I'm really curious to hear what your first appointment was like with her, what she said was bothering her that, that she was looking for treatment from. Well, the, the first appointment, I would say, was a, a positive uh, session. She was able to go right away to what was bothering her. I, I felt like she was very likable and she had many strengths. So I, I felt that I could work with her and try to help her. Could you, could, you that, tell us, could you tell us a little bit about what she looks like and just what it was like first meeting her? Well, she she's a above average height. She she's not overweight. Uh, dark hair. Uh, she was wearing dark clothes. Uh, there was something unusual in the way she dressed. Uh, probably the way she she sees herself is uh, being a little quirky, uh, as she says uh, sometimes. And uh, what struck me was that she was moving very slowly. Uh, it appeared like she was in a dreamy state, showing no no much emotions or feelings. There, there was a general rigidity about her. Hmm. Uh, on the other side, uh, she seemed to be pleasant at the same time, and she seemed to have a, a good understanding of what was happening to her. So what was it that was bothering her? Well, at the time she came to see me, she was very depressed. She was discouraged. And she felt that she was going to, to fall back in, into her psychosis. She had lost her job. She told me that uh, at her job, uh, she had eventually uh, revealed that uh, she was having problems with anxiety and was having panic attacks. I think what happened was that there must be there must have been a, an, an occasion when she became overwhelmed that she was having a panic attack. So she had to reveal that. And then she felt after that, that she was not being treated the same. And eventually she was let go. Hmm. Uh, she, she had an interesting job, I assume. She, she was working actually for a, a well-known museum and she, she was to be in charge of the uh, events organization. So at that point, she, she eventually left or she was let go from a job and she had become uh, very depressed. Uh, she was uh, not functioning at that point. And how old is Kate? Well, now she must be in an early forties. Early when she came to see me, maybe she was 38. I think it was three years ago. It was before the pandemic. 
And so how did you connect with her? Um, how did you engage with her uh, from the beginning? Well, I, I, I listened to her and I took her seriously. Uh, the thing, first of all, she was talking of no wanting to take medications. I could uh, understand that. She actually had been taking only one medication for many years and the, the medication was being prescribed by her primary care. Mm -hmm. Then she shared with me some of her experiences that made her feel like she didn't belong to this world, that she was weird, and also that nobody liked her. And that eventually will lead her to, to feel suicidal. She was having experiences where she felt, uh, let's say, that people could read her mind and that also she could read the other people's mind. And uh, at times she felt that uh, people could have been demons. And in the past, she had had uh, episodes of breaking down when she had completely withdrawn. And this was something that made her feel like there was something deeply wrong with her. So my, the understanding I gave to her was that uh, indeed uh, these thoughts she was having were reflecting deep feelings that she, she had, but at the same time, it was understandable that most people didn't understand her as she felt lonely. So at that point, I think on several occasions, she may have become tearful and uh, I would just let her uh, express whatever feeling she was having. Uh, I felt that on the one side, she was very sensitive. Uh, on the other side, I also felt that uh, she was she was very smart, and actually she was a, she could have been a, a talented woman. She was very much interested in art, and at that point, she was struggling also with not knowing what to do. She didn't have a source of income. Dr. Yacobolo, uh, yeah. when she told you that she's been diagnosed with schizophrenia, was that immediately apparent to you when she was talking about being able to read other people's minds and, and seeing? Yeah, it was, it was apparent to me, also based on the childhood history that, that she described. She always had been a loner. She never had fit uh, in the group. She never was fitting well into a family. She, she was recalling, feeling strange, acting differently. And she was very hard on herself for all those things. At a certain point, she would say that she felt that she was ruining her family life because she was the one who never fit. Uh, in her family. Now, uh, she has two siblings who are adults too now. And actually, I'm remembering, she, 
She said that uh, a family we call a Eeyore. Eeyore, the, the donkey? Yeah, the donkey from uh, Winnie the Pooh. Uh -huh. That's uh, who she was. And she, she had been going on uh, through her childhood and uh, her <coughs> adolescent years in that way, although never feeling like she fit in and being very depressed. So then uh, in her early 20s, she, she ended up having a breakdown and uh, she made uh, a suicide attempt by oh. overdose and she she required to be hospitalized. Dr. Iacobella, it the way you described it was that internally there was so much going on even early on in her life, but that her family and, and maybe other people around her only saw part of it, maybe that more depressive Eeyore attitude, but they didn't they didn't know the the other aspects of it. Is that is that accurate? I think that's uh, very accurate. She, she wouldn't share uh, with, with people the way her mind was working and uh, how her perceptions were different from uh, anybody else. Uh, at least that's how she felt. Uh, in fact, I think it was at the first session that she, she told me that she felt that she had a, a blockage in perception. Now, what I saw was that uh, she was very deep in her uh, thinking and her perceptions, and uh, she was uh, she could see probably people better than uh, the average person, and but at the same time, this perception she had were disorganized, and. Uh, it was like the personality was broken or split in different parts. She couldn't integrate her perceptions. And that will lead her then to, to become hopeless, very hard on herself, and be at risk of disintegrating. Dr. Iacobello, the way you say that, it makes me think of, you know, she's seeing demons in the world and and the way I hear it is that she's seeing some of the evil, the rage that's around her and, and can only connect with that part of it or becomes distorted when she interacts with other people and it becomes terrifying and hopeless, but, but she's not seeing the full picture. Right. That's a, that's a, that's was one of the aspects that uh, were like a constant in her life uh, because uh, she couldn't see the whole picture. She couldn't see uh, things in perspective. She would end up uh, thinking that the only solution was to disappear. Mm. Now, we, the other thing is in college, uh, she may have become very delusional when uh, uh, in one way or another, she became a part of a, a Christian cult. And uh, at that point, she uh, ended up believing that she was uh, some special spirit or special soul and that she had, she had a mission in her life that was to go to the underworld. 
and save the, the damned souls. And that's, uh, it took uh, a lot of time before she could come out of that. Oh, wow. What was her parents involved when this was going on when she was in high school and college? I, uh, I'm not entirely clear how much her parents were involved with this, what uh, at this time, or at least uh, since when I, I've seen her, her parents uh, had not been involved. Well, they, they moved to a different state. Her siblings are also in other states. So she's alone here. Mm-hmm. And she, she says she has a good relationship with her parents, but it's clear that she feels she doesn't fit uh, in the family and she's, uh, she's different. Another belief she has is also that wherever she is, bad things may happen. She has the belief that she is somebody who can carry uh, curses with her. And she carries curses with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she actually feels that people around her may know about that. And that's, she feels that people keep the distance from her. Did that come up with you interacting with her? Did, did um, she get worried that you could read her mind or, or she became paranoid around you? Did that come up? Well, that, that's interesting that you that you say that because actually uh, we've been talking about that, but she sees me different than, uh, than other people. So in some ways, she, she was not really clear about that because the way she answered was, well, you are different, you, you are professional, you, you are looking to help me and understand me. So she, she was not directing that question, but she has said that on many, on several occasions that she feels like she really can, can see what people are feeling or what people are thinking. She also feels that people can do it with her. And they can know that uh, there is something about her that is no good. That's how she sees it. So she also feels, she she gave me an example once of what, uh, what happened once to her. This was when she was working as an event organizer. Uh, she was having a disagreement with uh, uh, the the people above her uh, about uh, how to organize an event, and she felt that what they were doing was wrong. But the the high up didn't care about that; they just wanted to get uh, the event going, even if it, that's who was going to cause problems with somebody else. And she says that. She had a discussion with them, but she didn't have any choice. And then what happened, the next thing that happened was they all set up. It was two events, right? This is how it was. There were two events supposed to happen. So they, they wanted the setup for the second event to be ready during the first event. Of course, that was not appropriate. So what happens is that the setup or the second event 
got completely broken and damaged. So I, I know how that happened. So then it, they were astonished, right? Now we, uh, they didn't have any choice then uh, to do things the right way. So as she told, uh, uh, the high up, uh, I don't have anything to do with it. And she was told, yeah, you didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> so she, she, didn't, she didn't do anything about that. But she, she takes that as an example that she may carry some special power mm. around there that uh, causes things to happen. I see. And so, Dr. Iacobello, how did you help her? What did you do in her therapy? Well, uh, first thing I felt is she needed somebody who would listen to her and could understand her and, you know, could let her know that what she was experiencing was not just being crazy or on the other side, uh, having some uh, biochemical abnormality, uh, but that uh, she was what she was feeling in reality expressed the feelings that she had inside her and that she was right some way in, in some way and somewhere, but we needed to help her to deal with these feelings and to move on. So I think that was very helpful for her. And then the other thing is, I gave her the opportunity of express whatever feelings she may be having at the moment. You know, she, there were times when she would break down in crying. Uh, she also had a lot of fear, fear of disintegrating, uh, fear that, that she would lose her mind. And uh, when I could, because uh, you cannot do this all right away. The patient needs to be educated and moved along to be able to tolerate more emotions. So I will ask her to try to express the fear and feel it. Uh, her eyes uh, appear to be very tense and uh, the pupils dilated uh, with fear or angst in her eyes. So I helped her when she could to release from this fear, some of this fear. And it, it looked like uh, that was helpful. In some way, she, she engaged in therapy. And now I've seen her for more than three years, we may be going into four years, and uh, I think overall she's doing she's doing much better. Dr. Yacobel, the way you described kind of paying attention to her, I imagine that when you were trying to help her connect with her fear, for instance, you would have to be very sensitive to her sensitivity of knowing when would be too much, when she would need encouragement and kind of um, balance on that tightrope of where is she and, and what she needs at any one moment at any one day in, in a therapy session. Yeah, I think, you know, not only with her, but in therapy 
in general, you need to be very sensitive to where the patient is and what the patient can tolerate or not. And uh, I could say, I could, I could have been more aggressive from the point of view of biophysical work, but I always uh, have been uh, uh, respecting her limits and make sure that uh, she is not going to break now. Uh, because the, the other side is that, you know, she indeed uh, looks like being fragile, like uh, she, she can break at any moment. Uh, her, her terror and, and fear of disintegrating, there's truth to that, is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, there is truth because uh, she could be completely overwhelmed uh, with, with these deep feelings uh, and uh, she could easily uh, attempt suicide again or, or she could act in a very rational or even a a violent manner. In fact, she she recalls there must have been a few episodes where she may have been uh, very angry and uh, caused the problems with, with the people around her, although uh, she has told me only a few of them. Uh, I, she may be still resistant to reveal the kind of episodes where she may get angry for little reason or for no reason and create a scene. Uh, I know one where uh, she had a boyfriend uh, at the party and the boyfriend was talking to another girl and she went there, she lost it. She was, she was very, very angry. I don't know if she may even, I don't remember if she may have even punched her boyfriend. Or, and so I think she may have had a few episodes like that that oh, wow. have happened to her. Did you ever have concerns about her becoming psychotic and aggressive with you in, in therapy? Not, not with me, but uh, I have had concerns about her being uh, alone and uh, either becoming suicidal or uh, having a full psychotic break. And uh, from the beginning, I told her that uh, you know it was very important that uh, she was going to to be safe, and that. Uh, if she felt like she wanted to harm herself, I wanted her to let me know. And she agreed to this. Uh, I, I told her that she could call me anytime if she felt she was going to break down. And I think that there have been two occasions when she has called me because she was feeling very overwhelmed and she didn't know what to do. Uh, one episode happened uh, recently where uh, she was starting to have these feelings about people. Uh, she felt like she was not going to be able to stay at work. 
she wanted to leave. She didn't know what to do. By then it, she called me and uh, actually it looked like it would have been better for her to stay, to stay at work and she was able to do that. Mm. Very good. Dr. Iacobello, how was it? You mentioned that she kind of looked at you differently from the beginning. You know, you're a, uh, a professional that that's here to help me. But but how did you uh, develop the initial trust that she had with you that maybe just was built on that first phone call and that first appointment? How did you develop that over time? Well, I, I, don't, I think at the beginning, uh, what brought her to me, there was the fact that she knew that the treatment I could give her was not based on medications and that uh, I could help her to, uh, to try to understand herself and maybe her understanding was that uh, I would use uh, alternative treatments. Uh, that was uh, one thing. Also, she had been involved in the past in different uh, kind of treatments uh, that uh, she still may be involved in. Uh, she had been, uh, uh, she was doing meditation and yoga and Reiki and uh, actually at a certain point, she may have been involved in some forms of shamanic treatments. Now, that's how she was coming to me. I understood this as, as being a tendency to go into becoming mystical and running away from, from her emotions. And I didn't feel that that's, this may have been actually a good thing for her because my goal was to always try to ground her or in reality. But, and this was, I think it was a difficult balance uh, I had to keep because on the one side, uh, if I would have been uh, discouraging her from these uh, uh, forms of treatments, that's may have turned her off. But at the same time, I wanted to help her to see that this may not be such a good thing for her because she indeed already had a tendency to go off, uh, dissociate. But I think this now is much reduced and uh, she, she's not doing the, the shamanic groups any longer. And that we're bringing up to have very deep dreams hmm. and experience that could have been a disintegrating. And now she's not doing that. Maybe she's doing a little Raiki, but at the same time, I think she's being able to see how she runs into these practices when she's having problems in her life. Dr. Iacobello, so she knew from the beginning that you prescribe medicine, but that wasn't the entire focus of your treatment. She understood medical organ therapy or she had just some understanding? Well, she didn't understand the, the specific of it. I think she just had that general understanding that I could offer something else based on the profile I have 
on the internet, but uh, she she didn't know about uh, medical organ therapy. And the, you know, even today, there's been no much opportunity really to to introduce uh, to to the therapy. I mean, in an intellectual way, but yes. practically we we are working as much as possible uh, using. So. Uh... What is the role of medicine in her treatment? Well, the medicine is she, she's still on the same medicine. I never had to do any to make any changes. Uh, the medicine, a small dose of an antipsychotic, she had been taking it for years, even uh, more than one year into treatment with me. I never prescribed it to her. Only later on, uh, I took over the prescribing of it. So uh, I think we are looking forward that she may be at the point where I can decrease the dose slightly and see how she does. And we have been close to that on several occasions, but then uh, there have been some crises uh, in her life. So I have elected not to make any changes. I like that you said that, Dr. Bello. It's not that um, you're for medicine or against medicine, but you're paying attention to where uh, Kate is and what she needs. And with the understanding that she wants to be off of it, but you have to see if she's capable of being off of it. Yeah, I think that this is very, very important. At this time, overall, she's doing quite well, but I'm not sure that she's a aware of that, or she can completely see that. And this has to do with a lack of perspective and not being able to integrate the, the different aspects or area of her experience. What's in her mind is all her nightmarish world and the, the possibility of going down uh, the abyss, I would say. Right? So what she's doing, she, she doesn't see it. Now, she was able to obtain a job. Oh, yeah? She's doing well, well in the job. What and is she doing, her, Dr. Jacobello? Well, she works for, for a bank. I think she, she started at the call center for the bank, but now she has been moved to more responsible positions. In fact, she can be pretty good. Not only that, but she has had the, the opportunity to express uh, her artistic interest. In fact, she was asked to produce the, the newsletter and to illustrate it. Hmm. And now the last thing she's doing is she, she has designed, I've not seen them, but she has designed the T-shirts for the company. Ah. And the art has been uh, very important for her to actually keep her out uh, of the abyss. In fact, uh, at the time when she was uh, homebound, she was not working, I very much encouraged her to focus on her art. She, she, she paints. Uh, she uses different materials, and she has showed me some of her painting. And the, the paintings, 
uh, are very, she uses dark colors and they are, we say, very nightmarish, very dark in content. In some way, she's expressing the turmoil that she lives in. So I very much encourage you there to, to keep painting. Uh, she also had the other project of writing a book for children and illustrate it. And actually she was able to finish that. Wow. And now the book is on Amazon. So uh, it is a very nice book. I like the illustration. So Dr. Iacobella, what you're talking about is not just dealing with her troubles and some of her symptoms, but helping her healthy nature to come out. What, you know, what's deep inside of her that she uh, enjoys and finds pleasure in? Yes, I think that's uh, it's been a, a very important in her treatment and they help her to see that because her lack of perspective, you know, that as you know, it's a function of, of uh, ocular segment armory a lack of perspective leads it to not see anything else, but just uh, to see the bad nature in herself in the world. So uh, that is uh, like a, a constant work that one has to do to, to put her in touch with, with all the positive aspects. Yes. And when you talk about working with uh, her eyes and perspective, is that through talking? Is that on the therapy couch? How did you do that? Well, talking can help because you, in some way, you you help the person to to look at the whole picture and not just focus on on one thing. You help the person to see all the forest instead of or just the the tree. But also, I've been working biophysical. Uh, with her eyes, by having her showing feelings in her eyes, looking around the room, following uh, a pain light, uh, when has been possible, when the fears come up, I ever try to, to feel the fear in her eyes and express them. Uh, a few times I have worked on her occipital area, that is very sensitive and very tense. The back of her head? Yeah, the back of, the back of her head. And that way she can release some uh, the block the motions. So, um, Dr. Iacobello, when she was working with you and um, she was out of work and then obtained a new job and worked her way up, uh, was that something she was struggling with? It, it just kind of came together? Um, were there specific problems that came up? I'm curious to hear. Well, she struggled a lot with it because, uh, first of all, she was not happy about the job. She felt that that's not what she's meant for. So she wanted to express her artistic nature. Now she was working for a bank. So they, she saw that in a very negative way. At the same time, she understood that she needed to, to work for financial reasons, but also because she needed something to, to be able to occupy her mind and be around people. So 
Evangelist, she, she very much dragged their feet, you know, in being able to uh, get into the job. She was very worried and scared at the beginning, but then she saw that she was doing, she was doing well. Actually, she was doing better than the other trainees. So I had, in some ways, she needed a lot of support. Constant perspective on how she's actually doing. Yeah. And I think that was the time, too, when everything was happening through the internet. And I think I may, I may have seen it quite uh, for some time just uh, uh, by video sessions. Hmm. Dr. Yacobelli, you said she designed T-shirts for the company? Yeah. So uh, I'm curious, that must have um, caused some kind of engagement between her and her coworkers. And uh, do you know how she uh, perceived that engagement? Well, she perceived as uh, this way, okay, well, they they like what I do and they uh, they are nice to me, but still, uh, uh, I don't think they understand me. They know there is something wrong with me, mm. that uh, I'm kind of weird, that I don't fit in. Mm. And, and that that's the way, you know, she's easy. She sees herself as a, an outsider. Actually, that's something she's struggling with because uh, she doesn't have friends. Uh, some friends she had, she feels they are against her. Now, I don't know how much that is based in reality or is also uh, expression of her paranoia, or it can, it can be both. So that's has led her to be isolating and right now she she has only her boyfriend with whom there are also problems and that's the way she's struggling at this time in what way well she she feels that the relationship is not working the way she would like she wants more from the relationship a boyfriend seems not to be forthcoming or meeting her needs. And this is causing uh, a lot of turmoil for her. And now she, she's caught in, an, in a very ambivalent situation. On the one side, she would like to, to leave him. But on the other side, she's not sure if she can make it by herself. The, there was an occasion, I think, when she moved out but then they, they got back together. So this is where she's struggling right now. You know, what strikes me as you're saying that, Dr. Iacobello, is how important it is to understand a patient's character. You know, when something like that comes up, do you, do you say anything about the relationship? Do you encourage them at all in any way? Do you let them figure it out? But in my, the way I heard what you said is to understand her fragility and actually how dependent she can be at times, that that would have to be in your mind when you're working with her about this problem. Yes, you you had to keep that uh, in consideration. And I think indeed probably would be better for her to leave the boyfriend because I think she, 
she wants to have more for herself and the, she, she, she can be at a higher level of fundraising. But at the same time, I don't know if at this time she would be able to do that. So uh, I would say we are in a transition phase uh, at this time. And yeah. Dr. Iacobello did, um, you mentioned she had a suicide attempt before you met her that led to her hospitalization years ago. Has yeah. that come up? You mean talking about the past suicide attempt? No, or um, I'm feeling again, like feeling suicidal again. Hmm. I think it, it came up once, it may have been uh, one and a half year ago. When she was feeling suicidal again, but she called me and I think we had some extra sessions and then she was able to come out of that. But now, now I think she, she knows better. She's starting to see how uh, much better she can do and how indeed she's enjoying her life and what gets on the way of that is that for her, all this is just fake. It doesn't count. Hmm. This is not what life is. Life is always uh, hell and turmoil. What's the use right, of living this? This doesn't really matter. And then uh, she also has believes in universal efforts. She believes that everything that happens in the world is connected and people are connected and therefore the suffering that there is uh, is a suffering that affects her too and that uh, how can she be happy about these things if uh, the world is the tragic place that it is. Mm. Wow. While you're talking, Dr. Iacobello, it reminds me of a patient who, who does not have paranoia and, and uh, hallucinations, but he's incredibly sensitive. And he's described a, a lot of these similar feelings of feeling like totally disconnected from the world, like lost at sea. But then he has this other part, and I'm curious if she has this too, which is she can go for a walk, you know, or, or a hike out in nature. And He's just like, the world is a beautiful place. And it like when he said that to me the first time, it was like, oh my God, like he's right. Like, and it's like helped me open up to, oh my God, you're, you know, you, you can be dulled and, and miss the beauty of the world. And uh, has she been able to uh, access that part, you know, in her artwork and her, uh, her book that she- I, I don't have a recollection. I don't have a recollection of that. But I can understand that that uh, can be an experience that you know people who have uh, this particular condition or, or who have uh, schizophrenic uh, syndromes, they, they may experience uh, these, uh, I'll call them uh, sublime or, or cosmic feelings. Mm -hmm. And then not only that, that makes me think that you know, only reviewing the case, I've been doing some reading uh, and uh, I have read the part uh, of Reich's case on the, on the schizophrenic split. And 
I can see the similarities in my patient with what Reich was describing in, a, in his writing. I think it's, a, it's all there. Uh, it's like, you know, indeed you see the same things. It's not that you cannot make up these things. They are there. And if you observe uh, with an open mind, you can see, you can see this, uh, this manifestation. If, if I'm hearing you accurately, are you talking about how working with someone with, with schizophrenia, they can be acutely sensitive and, and they can be aware of what we call armor, like your patient saying how she has this block in perception. It's like, on one hand, they get it and, and they perceive things so well that they can get things that very few people can. On the other hand, it becomes so distorted that most people don't understand it, but with our training, you can hear through through the, the fog or through the noise um, and really uh, connect with these patients. Is that is that? Yes, I mean, that's that's correct. And that's, uh, you know, also Reich describes that too uh, in his uh, in his writing. Uh, he talks uh, along those terms about, about uh, schizophrenia and schizophrenic patients. Yeah. Dr. Iacobella, I really like how you allowed her to voice her concerns about medicine because um, e even talking about your therapy, that's uncommon these days. Um, it's very common to have almost all the focus in a patient who uh, suffers from schizophrenia uh, to be about medicine and how often they take the medicine and never missing doses as if it's just reminding someone, well, if you don't take your blood pressure medicine, you're, you're going to have a stroke, as if it's just like that, to ignore how long it may take to build the trust for, for this patient, for instance, to even know that you may need a higher dose because right now, you know, your psychotic symptoms are worsening. And, and I imagine that's all been um, in the back of your mind while you're treating this young woman. Yeah, it has been. And the problem with that is that uh... You see, the, the experience and the feelings of the patients don't count there. You know, they, they are discounted. It's just, just a disturbance. You know, it's it, just it, crazy hallucinations. It can crazy be crazy or, or it can be a biochemical disturbance that needs to be fixed. And in part, in the background, my patient, I think, has some uh, belief along those lines, that there is something biochemically wrong with her, and that's, she's so unfortunate. But by doing that, it's like you, you don't see the patient and what they are going through, while our work is to, to help them see what's happening and, and put things in the right perspective, and then helping her to tolerate emotions and express them. And that's a bit, it can be very relieving. Maybe you could highlight that for the audience, how you see the importance of uh, connecting with and tolerating emotions and how that can help a patient with schizophrenia, because I think that's worth underscoring. Well, I think what that does is decreases the terror because now they, they can feel that 
you can have those emotions, but you are not necessarily going to be annihilated. You have somebody else with you next to your bedside who is walking you through this and who also can tolerate those emotions. I think that's of basic importance in therapy. You know, the, the emotions don't have to destroy you or kill you, but you can go through that. And there are people who indeed are there and can do it and you can survive. Yes, well said. Dr. Iacobello, is there anything else you'd like to say about Kate's story or, or anything at all uh, to the audience before we wrap up? Well, uh, what I would like to say is that I think she, she's, a, she's a great woman and she, she has a lot of strengths. And uh, I hope she, she will do much better and uh, can uh, achieve uh, her goals. That's, that's uh, what I would like to say. You know, the, the other thing is I want to be able to transmit the, the ergonomic understanding of schizophrenia. I think that's a, a very important point. Yes. Well, Dr. Iacobello, this has been a wonderful discussion. Thank you for your time. Welcome, Dr. Perry. And thank you to the audience for joining us today. And a special thank you to the donors of the ACO who make our work possible. How do you feel after listening to Kate's story? What do you think? Kate's story is a great example of why one can have hope even after being diagnosed with schizophrenia. While every patient is different, many patients with severe symptoms, including psychosis, have been able to achieve more fulfilling and productive lives with courage and hard work through medical organ therapy. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I hope you share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know about our work. You can connect with us at organomy.org. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. Since 1968, psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Organomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, medical organ therapy as practiced by the physicians at the ACO offers a way forward often without the use of medication.